The word of the Lord from Luke chapter 2. When the time had come for their purification, according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of two turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword were pierced through your own soul also so that thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God, and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our Gospel Proclamation for the first Sunday after Christmas is the reading of Luke that I just finished reading for you and serves as the basis of our theme, Sinners Need a Savior. As much as I would like to say it to you, it is not New Year's today, or tomorrow for that matter. That was a month ago when we began the new church year with Advent. That's right, my dear members of faith. We are following the church calendar in our spiritual lives. While I am at it, I'm sure those of you that put your Christmas tree up right after Thanksgiving have already taken down your tree and put away your crash. But we're only seven days, seven into 12 days of Christmas. So if you want to follow the actual church calendar, you might want to at least keep your crush up until the Magi arrive to honor the baby Jesus with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which is epiphany. Okay, enough about that. I can get down off my soapbox now that I've gotten that off my chest. So as I alluded to the last 12 days of Christmas and the reality that we are clearly still in the Christmas season, let's go! Because as far as I'm concerned, I'm just getting started. 
So today in our gospel lesson, Mary and Joseph were just getting started as well with one of the most unbelievable parenting experiences ever in the history of all humankind. They were raising God in the flesh. You just imagine raising the perfect kid. Now, what most of us experience are kids that think they're perfect and we're just the dumb parents. Like Mark Twain once famously said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished about how much the old man had learned in seven years. Every parent here has been down that path. No, I mean a child that is honest to God, perfect, because he is God. He knows more. He sees more. He acts correctly every time and given the right set of circumstances, knows everything about you, including all your hidden sins. Oh, many a theologian could not wrap their heads around that, so they took painstaking time to knit a theology that demonstrated how Jesus was limited regarding his divine power. And while that's most likely the case, it was not so he could behave like an inappropriate child or even show the capacity to sin. No, it was just to help explain why Jesus did not use his divine power when he most certainly could have. The early false gospels could not accept the infallible adolescent child, even suggested in writing that he did channel his divine nature to smite his peers when they bested him. So much about those early false gospels were so untrue. The early church knew they were not inspired by the Almighty God. Rather, they were inspirations of Satan to dissuade God's people from following the truth, which is exactly why they are not in the Bible to this day. We also have modern examples of this done humorously that try to humanize Jesus. For example, some years ago, the kids at the school had found some YouTube videos called Jesus Just Pwned You. They were kind of funny and innocent enough, but showed Jesus physically besting his peers in feats of strength with classic boy machismo and bravado. It was over the top, not appropriate, not inappropriate, but dancing on that line and undeniably not what Jesus would ever do. We also have much more destructive new false gospels that draw on the old false gospels that were considered anathemas thousands of years ago, having been refuted with creeds we confess to this day. They make Jesus so human, he is no longer God at all. I still remember a secretary of mine I had temporarily in Middleburg, Florida, telling me how she liked to see Jesus humanized liked the idea that he was with a woman and had children. Never mind, this heresy was easily refuted 2,000 years ago, but I was speechless nonetheless that anyone would want that at all. Jesus never fathered his own family. And that is because, just like his disciples, we are his family. We are born of the blood shed on the cross for our sins that made our names baptized into his name a daily reminder of who we are. 
So we are careful with this talk about Jesus and what he may have been like as an adolescent because of how it can dangerously misrepresent him and marginalize the Messiah he was and still is. And I don't think it's a good idea to get into the minutia of how adolescent Jesus behaved and what challenges that might have posed to Joseph and Mary. Those are all arguments from silence. Because we have everything we need to know about Jesus from his birth right up to his first appearance as a man with his cousin, John the Baptist. First, we have the God-man who fulfilled God the Father's law perfectly. Joseph and Mary are doing just that today in our lesson. Luke and Matthew both giving clear eyewitness accounts to this very important rite in the life of an adolescent Jewish boy. Later, they would also take him to the temple where he sat at the feet of the rabbis, not necessarily because the God-man needed to learn, but because this was the law to observe the Passover feast, a very important observance that would one day point to this God-man as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In fact, those are the very words John the Baptist will use when Jesus arrives to be baptized by his cousin, again, fulfilling the word of his heavenly father. You know, the reason the world struggles with who Jesus is is because it struggles with who they are. And Jesus stands in stark contrast to them. The world wants to believe that they're good people that are at their core will do the right thing giving the opportunity. In other words, they deny that they are sinful and unclean from conception. You can see this in the movies, novels written with the happy endings, and stories of communities coming together and redeeming poverty and chaos, because ultimately, that's what everyone wants. And I agree, that is what everyone says they want at least says until someone else gets a little more than they do, and then they want their fair share too. Or says this is what they want until they get bored with the peace and the orderliness and decide they want to buck the system, be a rebel, and defy social convention. And especially with 50% of kids saying they want to be social influencers on YouTube or TikTok when they grow up, they almost immediately discover that while they may have gone into it thinking they could educate and influence people for good, they realize that doesn't get a whole lot of views and almost immediately resort to pranks, shenanigans, and sometimes even downright disgusting behavior to the delight of the trolls who weigh in like the crowds at the Roman arenas for the abominable events that distracted them from their miserable daily lives. This is who we are at our basest level. As Jesus stands on the floor of the arena, the only innocent man who ever did everything right, we watch our sins destroy him like wild animals devouring their prey. It's simply not a good look for us, and it shouldn't be. It should be a constant reminder that he took the pain we deserved, and that's what makes anyone who didn't know why uncomfortable and maybe even hateful toward him. 
But for those of us who know the purpose of the sacrificial system since the beginning of all time, we see him just how we need to see him. Those of us that know that altars were erected all over the ancient world to sacrifice animals on to cleanse them of their sin, we know our sin. And those of us that know what the real meaning of Passover is, that began with the Lord, that came in to smite the firstborn sons of Egypt so that God's people would be free from their Egyptian slave masters, and that the blood of an unblemished land had to be sacrificed in a meal, a specific meal done in a specific way to recognize God was with them. And when the meal was finished, the blood of that perfect lamb was to be smeared on the entryway of their homes so that the Lord would pass over their home when he saw they observed his meal and obeyed his directives so their firstborn would be saved. When Jesus was recognized as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he was this lamb. When the firstborn had to die to free God's people, Jesus was the firstborn of God, the Holy Spirit, who had to die to save us from our sins and free us to live life eternal with him. This was to fulfill the law that there must be punishment for sin. And our perfect Savior, Jesus, was the sacrifice and then rose from the dead to prove he took it for everyone and now has the power to raise us and take us to him. All of this we remember in our sacramental meal of Holy Communion to this day. For Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me for the forgiveness of all your sins. This is why church is such a great place for those who are broken and defeated by failure and destructive forces, self-imposed or otherwise. This is why church appeals to those who cannot find acceptance anywhere else. This is why church is a fellowship of sinners who commune in and with Christ. Because we know what we are and we believe in him for what he is. Our father and mother, our father confessor and forgiver, our judge at the end of days, but not one that judges us worthless. We already know that. Rather justifies us just as if we had no sin. This Jesus is the Christmas Jesus, the Advent and Lent Jesus, the only Redeemer we will ever need because sometimes sinners just need a Savior and nothing else. Amen. Now may that peace that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.